So we really wanted to buy some raw land and just were enamored with the river. So we kept uh, looking, kept trying to find, there's just nothing for sale. Like you can't find anything for sale. Talk to the locals and they're like, nobody ever sells anything out there. It's just, it's really hard to get your hands on. But all those people have had those properties for generations. Like they're not going to sell and found one large track owner and, and it was actually a company and just started negotiating with them. And at first it was, it's not for sale and about a year or more of negotiations and finally got to get them to basically let us put a bid on it. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at Spontaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. If you're like most Airbnb hosts, you likely started hosting as a side hustle. Perhaps your initial goal was just to cover the mortgage on your vacation home or make a few extra bucks for the kids' college savings. Or maybe it was even your very first real estate investment. But if you're listening to this podcast, chances are your Airbnb side hustle is becoming a real business. Now it feels like a full-time job and you might even be sleeping less than your guests. If this sounds more or less like your story, then you'll be ecstatic to meet today's sponsor, Host Labs. Think of Host Labs as the Robin to your Batman or the Yin to your Yang. Host Labs partners with short-term rental owners and operators like you so you can get away from the daily hosting chores and spend your time planning the next chapter of your business. Host Labs partners with you to set up seamless operations for your short-term rental business so you can focus on working on your business and not just in it. They do this by walking alongside you as you set strategic growth goals, determine how best to build your technology stack, and their in-house recruiting agency is the perfect resource for when you're ready to start scaling your team. Host Labs doesn't just tell you or show you what to do. They ensure that the job actually gets done, whether that be reducing your monthly burn or finding a new cleaning team. So if you're ready to keep growing your portfolio, Host Labs is here to help you turn your dream of owning a really cool hospitality business into a reality. You can get started with a free consultation to see if Host Labs might be the right match for your business at hostlabs.co. That's .co as in C-O forward slash B-T-S as in behind the stays. And if you decide to work with them, you'll qualify for an exclusive discount when you reference behind the stays during your chat with one of their team members. Again, that's hostlabs.co, C-O forward slash B-T-S. All right, guys, back to the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Max Gagliardi, founder of Mountain Fork Resort, a 140-acre waterfront development in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Max is an entrepreneur who builds businesses across energy, real estate, and technology. He has a knack for finding opportunities in places that others are convinced no opportunity exists. After stumbling upon an incredible piece of land in Broken Bow, one of the hottest up-and-coming vacation destinations in the Southeast, Max began dreaming about how he could build a next-generation resort that would become a destination in and of itself. In this episode, Max and I discuss how he's doing this, we discuss what inspired him to build a hospitality brand, we talk about some of the unpopular opinions he has about the current state of the short-term rental industry, we talk about some of the biggest opportunities that he sees for how to build businesses that are thriving in and around the space. And we also talk about what he's learned by hosting a popular entrepreneurship podcast called Always Be Building. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Max. All right, Max, we are live, dude. How are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing well, Zach. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Well, I, uh, I'm excited for you to be here. And honestly, most of the time when people are, I'm interviewing somebody, they're like complimenting like my like little studio setup here. But this is one of those rare moments, man, <laughs> where I really have to compliment yours. Yours is like next level. You've got like three or four different like light tone colored things happening in the back. Are those are those whiskey bottles behind you too, or, or, or what, yeah, what are those bottles? Yeah, we've got a little distillery that I just I invested a small piece in here in Oklahoma City, so I uh, threw those in the background to kind of uh, advertise for that. And uh, I appreciate the compliment on the studio. It was a lot of, you know, kind of going through some iterations. I had it set up at my house at one point because started doing some podcasting stuff during COVID, and then we moved it up to our office. And I just kind of tinkered with it. And like I mentioned to you right before I started, I just Googled or YouTube videos on like, how do you make podcast studio, whatever, you know, and just kind of like threw it together. Didn't have a lot of experience with the videography stuff before this. So hoping it's working. Well, dude, I think it's working. It looks great. Hopefully the content of this conversation is as cool as our respective studios. Um, because if it is, I think it's, I think our listeners are in for, for a real treat, but, um, you're, you're a really interesting dude. We connected on, uh, I guess I should say X now. And I have since been like Googling you and, and reading up a, a little bit about your, your various enterprises. And I want to get into some of that today and, and hear a little bit about how, how it all ties together. But I actually want to start by just hearing the the story of Mountain Fork Resort, which I believe is like one of your latest uh, ventures. And, uh, you know, we're, this show is all about folks who are building really cool hospitality businesses. And Mountain Fork Resort looks like one of those. So what can you tell us sure. a little bit about how Mountain Fork Resort came to be? Yeah, so I'll start out with we, there's a place in southeastern Oklahoma uh, called Broken Bow. And then there's like a more touristy area called Hochitown. Hochitown is like around the state park and there's a national forest called Beaver's Bend State Park. And it's an area I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. Okay. And it's an area that I really, I'd heard about for years, but I don't think I went out there to visit it until around 2019. So I was already in my thirties and just was blown away. I was like, this is incredible. I was like, how have I, you know, lived here my whole life and not gone down and seen this area and it's if you know oklahoma it's got a lot of various geography so like the west side of the state's kind of more arid more desert like uh the further you get closer to the texas panhandle and then the east side of the state you've got kind of more rolling hills and uh more trees and that southeastern corner is just kind of like this really unique part of the state it's you know it's like 20 minutes from texas uh louisiana and arkansas so it's right there in the corner it's it looks a lot more like Arkansas than huh. you would think that it looks like Oklahoma. It's got kind of these rolling hills, uh, a lot of pine trees, um, you know, rivers and, and lakes and just kind of this really gorgeous spot. It's also unique from the standpoint that it's just so close to so many major population centers. I mean, you've got DFW within a two and a half, three hour drive. Uh, you've got visitors that come there from Oklahoma, obviously from from Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, even people that come there. And so you know, I went down there in 2019 and it was more of just to go and stay there. And this hmm. ties into the, the river project, the Mountain Fork Resort. We tried to book a cabin to stay at and it was last minute and there was just nothing available. And so in like the Hochitown area, which is like the kind of traditional touristy area. And so we saw a spot that was about 20 minutes away that was on this river. It looked like a little cabin on the river. And we were like, well, this is available. It's kind of a small cabin, but we'll make it work. Yeah. And so the first time I ever visited there, we stayed like on this cabin, like right on the water. And I was just blown away. I was like, this is incredible. Like woke up in the morning, like the fog rolling in across the water and just this crystal clear water. You could see the fish swimming, people kayaking on it. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like everything around this area has to be like this. And then I go and I visit the traditional areas where the most of the cabins were at. And it was, they were cool. The cabins were really nice. Um, and they were, you know, relatively closer to the state park. I mean, kind of, you still have to sort of drive to the state park. So okay. it wasn't that much further away, but they like, they were just kind of in the woods. And I just remember thinking like, man, the river is like where it's at. Like this is got these little dinky cabins. There's really not that much available to stay down in that part. Yet you had all this other stuff up in this other area. So that was my first experience. Uh, we ended up this property that we bought is like right across from that first cabin. It's on the other side of the river, this first cabin that I stayed at. So wow. it just seemed like sort of like a weird fate thing when yeah. we came across the property because that's the first place I visited. But before that, we I'd been investing in real estate, doing stuff on the side. We've got an energy business uh, and COVID energy that we've had for nine years now and um, primarily in the natural gas and oil space. And we used, you know, I had some 
proceeds from that business and I wanted to diversify like a lot of folks. And so I started buying some real estate and I bought like single family homes in kind of the Oklahoma City area. I was just sort of landlord renting those out. And that was my way to dip my toe in it. And they they did fine. They were yeah. they were good properties, but it was kind of a lot of headaches and uh, a lot of work for a little margin. And so, um, you know, in 2020, uh, not long after that visit, uh, COVID hit, and I had a couple colleagues of mine that I'd worked with in a in a couple different areas in the oil and gas industry. They worked across the table for me. That actually some of them had helped us on, from a consulting standpoint. So just guys that I'd known for six, seven years and had yeah. done business with. And so they had all had little various real estate uh, projects going on as well. One guy owned like a retirement, some doors in a retirement community. The other guys owned some vacation properties, had done land deals. And so we said, hey, why don't we like pull these assets together and just kind of have like a little investment fund or firm that yeah. we do. And so with that, we decided, hey, let's buy a cabin down in this uh, Broken Bow area because we had some extra cash we wanted to deploy. And so we bought that cabin and rented it out as a short-term rental or as an Airbnb, as people just like to call it. And so, and it did phenomenal. And a part of it was like the timing with like COVID and yeah. everybody wanted to get away, but it just really, the revenue and the rentals were just incredible. And we ended up just kind of selling off the rest of our portfolio and really wanted to focus on short-term rentals. And so we ended up building another one. It was kind of about to be built, but we talked to the builder, changed a few things and built one. Both those cabins just did phenomenal. And then as the uh, the prices just kept running up, and I'm always one of these people that sort of takes the wins when you can get them. And it's like, hey, these are great properties. It was yeah. always like a long-term hold thing. But we just decided to sell them and then reinvest the proceeds. And so we uh, sold those off and then raised like a little fund, just kind of friends and colleague fund and decided to build some more. And the key there was that we found out that building it was just so much cheaper. I mean, it's more work and you have to do construction loans and you have to like, you know, plan it out and stage them and get them furnished and all these things. But from a cost basis standpoint, we're looking at saving 30 plus percent on our costs by building versus buying retail. And we're just like, well, if you can save that much money building, like, you know, cost basis is kind of everything in real estate or it's a lot of it. And so we decided to build. So we started building these homes and that's part of what you, and those weren't in this river property. They were just kind of in the area. And okay. we found some lots that had some great views, said some unique aspects to them as well. And then we still had proceeds left over from the sale of our other properties uh, in the portfolio. And then from the sale of those first two homes. And so we said, let's, uh, we really wanted to buy some raw land and just were enamored with the river. So we kept uh, looking, kept trying to find, there's just nothing for sale. Like you can't find anything for sale. Talk to the locals and they're like, nobody ever sells anything out there. It's just, it's really hard to get your hands on. But all those people have had those properties for generations. Like they're not going to sell and found one large track owner and, and it was actually a company and just started negotiating with them. And at first it was, it's not for sale and about a year or more of negotiations and finally got to get them to basically let us put a bid on it. And so Bought that track of land. It's a it's 140 acres wow. and it's about a mile of riverfront. Um, and really unique for that area. There's just not much, if anything, that is there's a few cabins here and there that are that are kind of waterfront, but the lake by the state park is owned by the Corps and Corps of Engineers, and you can't uh you can't build on the water. So really nothing there is waterfront. Yeah. Some people have like some pond front stuff or some like kind of creeks, seasonal creeks, but um, and then there's a few cabins along the river, but they're not, uh, they're not like developments per se. And so we, uh, we purchased that and it closed at the, it took forever for them to close. It took like a year to close. And, um, then we ended up just wanting to go in and subdivide it. There's kind of two tracks. One has most of the river frontage and it's about 90 of the acres. The other track has less river frontage, but it's still a really cool track and they're pretty close. They're like almost contiguous. There's like one little landowner in the middle, but, um, so we, so we took the one that's a smaller track. We said, we're just going to sit on this. It's a great piece of land and we can hold it long-term and figure out what we want to do. And then what we're calling kind of phase one is the the stretch that's got most of the river frontage. And so subdivided that. And in the first year, we've I think we've had about 10 lot sales, wow. uh, most of those being along the river, which is, which is awesome. And, you know, for us in this kind of a more challenging real estate environment, it's, we feel really good about where the asset's at. Um, we, the other thing we decided to do is to really make it more of like a resort style community. Most of the developments there are just kind of bare bones, like don't have an, I mean, I know HOA gets a bad name, yeah. but 
you know, they, they're just free for alls, right? Yeah. People have whatever they want. It's like, there's no, the roads are not maintained. There's no security. There's just like no covenants, right? It's, people yeah. can do anything. It's the wild west. And what we've seen over time is that in some of these areas, like especially the ones where we sold our first two places, we uh, just saw deterioration in the uh, communities. And so we really are trying to make it nicer, put in uh, a gate, make it a gated community, uh, keep the roads, put in some amenities, like some fishing docks, park areas, um, we have a plans to build a clubhouse and a pool, kind of a community center. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a really cool project yeah. and we, uh, we're at the point now where it's getting, uh, de-risked enough from the sales that like after a few more riverfront sales, like the goal, maybe longer term, maybe to pull the rest of the really prime acreage back and maybe build for ourselves just because it's just such good stuff that we're like, ah, I don't know if we want to sell all this yeah. off. So we in May in the future have some plans to uh, to construct some cabins uh, on the water there too. So that's kind of the, the story behind it. I try to get a little bit of my background too in yeah. that and made it go kind of long, but hopefully that gives you a good idea. No, that's that's a super helpful uh, and, and comprehensive uh, uh, picture there, which, which I really appreciate. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. Just so I'm clear on a couple of details here. So the current, you said there are about 10 lots that are are for sale or or have been sold? That have sold. That have sold, sold. Okay. yeah. And then you guys are, are wondering right now and sort of like tinkering with the idea of holding, building for yourselves. And then are, is the idea to potentially sort of like build and and manage these these next uh, collection of cabins is the goal to not be in the management business at all like how do you guys think a little bit about building uh, the, i guess this next phase if you will and and whether or not you'll kind of hold and manage and kind of build a hospitality brand around it or or whether or not you'll and you know sell these these units to individual owners who in all likelihood will rent them out as as, as short-term rentals well, Zach, you know the answer. Whatever makes the most money. The reason I asked is because like, I think right, you, you guys have a lot of unique things going for you, right? You've apparently found this piece of land that is, is quite rare, it is unique. Broken Bow, like, like I, I spend hundreds of hours on Airbnb every month finding like the best deals to kind of feature to, to for our subscribers and whatnot. And the amount of like incredible like structures and like I always say like Broken Bow and like Hawking Hills I'd never heard of either of these communities until I got into like the short-term rental Airbnb space. And I'm just shocked by the number of like stunning places that exist so much so that like I'm in DC, right? But I'm like telling my wife, I'm like, we got to go to Broken Boat, which is like, ne <laughs> which would never have been on our radar at all had it not been for seeing these like really cool Airbnbs popping up. So, so the reason I ask you is like, yeah, it seems yeah. like a really cool opportunity to build a pretty robust niche hospitality brand in in the space but you know that that comes with a lot of work uh, a lot of, uh, of additional work right. beyond just you know developing great real estate so how are, how are you guys like thinking through the pros and cons from from like a business structure sure but well, i can tell you a lot about it, how we're thinking about it. i was just kind of joking with the first answer <laughs> but uh we uh we we do have a hospitality business and brand with the existing homes that we own and yeah. uh there's a lot of pros and cons with those i think that the our thoughts on it have evolved i mean you know it is a lot of work but there's a lot of reward to be had there yeah. i think that as we've gotten more sophisticated and grown we want to be more deliberate around really having exceptional properties anything that let's put it this way anything that we want to hold and operate long term we really want those to be truly exceptional properties like top 10 percent top one percent yeah uh, in that market whatever market we're in 
And I think that in our portfolio of existing homes, we've done some really great stuff, and but we have different sizes. And I think we're now gravitating towards more of the big cabins in general. The small ones are great. They yeah. do they do good. But you know, if you're going to own and operate something, it's almost as much work to do like a one bedroom as it is a seven bedroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, the seven bedroom technically has more maintenance and things you have to do, but in general, property yeah. is a property. And it's yeah. like, kind of gets back to the single family home things. It's like, I got to manage the single family home. There's always something going wrong. I'm making 1400 bucks a month in rent, or I can have this, you know, giant, awesome cabin that makes $2,400 a night in yeah. rent. Yeah. And it's like, which one do you want to play in? Um, and so I think that we're always going to have properties that we own and operate. And, uh, I think we'll probably gear towards more kind of high grading those over time to make sure that anything we are going to invest more time and energy into is something that's truly an exceptional property, which I think most of the ones we have, I mean, all of our properties are good, yeah. but there's a few that stand out that are really like, okay, these are like top 1% type performers. Like, let's just have all of that type of property. And so I think with the building of the new cabins, we're only going to build stuff that is just incredible, right? Yeah. Like it's not like, and there's some guys on Twitter that are doing some really cool stuff, but these vacation and we get ideas and inspirations from that. These vacation rental markets, I think are an arms race. just like, I like to call it, right? Like if five years ago, a playground outside and a hot tub was the, was the gold standard. And you had to have that, like, you know, that's kind of old news now, right? Like yeah. you need to have swimming pool. Okay. Well, we have a swimming pool. Now you need a heated pool. Okay. Well now people, like, no one's done it yet in our market, but like we're looking at doing indoor pools yeah. uh, or indoor huh. outdoor where they can open up to the outside. I think having them on the waterfront is huge. Having like a fishing dock, having a boat ramp, um, having, you know, sports courts and, you know, uh, pine greens and whatever. So just really like anything that we put in, um, if we are going to own it and operate it, it's going to just be an exceptional property, something that we know is going to crush on the rental market that we know is going to have a ton of equity value. Um, We've also gotten more deliberate around uh, layouts and how we, you know, plan these properties. And so in the past it was, it was less competitive. So in the broken bow market, and I think in a lot of markets, there's been an influx of new supply of the rental properties. And, you know, back in the day, it used to just be like, you could pay it on a square footage basis, or you look at the property on a square footage basis. I think now it's more towards, well, how much income can this generate me? And, you know, in the past, for example, we'd have like a 4,000 something square foot cabin it was maybe like a four bed but it had like a huge bunk room and a really awesome game room yeah. and a secondary living room. And that was like our second cabin we did. And we, we sold that cabin and made good, made good rentals when we had it and we sold it today. I probably wouldn't build that cabin because thousand square feet for only four bedrooms is just way too much square footage. It's yeah. like, you know, in retrospect, that downstairs area and that one with the huge game room and the secondary living room, that could have been, you know, at least one extra, maybe two extra bedrooms. Um, so prioritizing things like not just sleep count, but, uh, total of ma- total master bedrooms and bathrooms because hmm. that's effectively you're paying guests, right? So it's like if a couple, if a bunch of couples are going to split or a family is going to split a place to go to, you know, each paying guest wants their own bedroom and they want their own private bathroom yeah. because they're paying, you know, whatever, 300, 400 bucks a night yeah. if they split it up with all these other people. So they want those things. And so I think, again, for the stuff that we would go to own and operate, we just want to make sure the layout is really efficient, really tight. You still got to have common area space. You still have to have amenities, things for people to do, but you also want to maximize uh, for what you're building. And so I think for if we go to build on the river, um, the goal is to uh, maximize the value. So we will rent them. And then if somebody really thinks it's it's great property and they want to buy it, then we're always open uh, to sell as well. And then reinvest those proceeds into the next the next project that we're going to look at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I liked your observation around thinking through the number of, you know, master suites, if you will, that uh, a unit might have, because I, th- I think you're hundred percent right. Like if you, w- one of my observations, just talking to incredible people like you who are building these remarkable stays is like, okay, you know, you just keep packing in all these great amenities, right? Obviously, the the nightly rate is going to continue to go up. At what point is it like, okay, do I want to pay four seasons prices in, you know, Broken Bow, right? Or, or, or like, like, at what, what is that threshold in which people are like, you know what, it's this is this is like too much almost like, yeah, very, very cool. But like, 
you know, I'm not going to drop $10,000 a night for, for this particular space, even though, even though it's remarkable. Right. And like, what is, what is that pricing, uh, that, 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 that price inflection point? Um, so, so my, my, my question to you is like, as you think a little bit about your, your core audience, right. And, and there does seems to be a lot of folks who are developers in the space, incredible hospitality entrepreneurs who are building great businesses in the space as they think about these super high-end incredibly luxurious experiences like who is who is that traveler like it is the goal hey let's let's take a four seasons traveler who you know has been a four seasons traveler for for over a decade and let's introduce them to a different kind of stay that still has the you know everything that they could possibly have wanted out of four seasons maybe minus a concierge or like or or is it really about no 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 we're we're going after a a different the next generation of traveler if you will who who might not have ever even stayed at a four seasons but is now at a place where they have that sort of disposable disposable income that they want to spend on travel and and they just don't want to do it the way that like mom and dad did or like like how how are you guys thinking about your your core guest and and who what kind of traveler i guess you're you're building for yeah i think that it, it depends. There's a lot of different types of people that stay in, especially these bigger, bigger cabins. And I'll focus on those since that's where I think in the future, most of our efforts are going to be put into. I think you've got the people that are like four seasons type, you know, they have the money, they have the disposable income and they have the expectation that, Hey, I can pay this, you know, high dollar amount per night. And it may just be a high net worth family. And they're like, Hey, look, this is six or seven bedrooms. We only need four, but we love this property and yeah. like to us, it's not that big of a deal. So we're going to pay top dollar. But you also with these bigger properties and the amount of master bedrooms, you have the ability, like, for example, on our seven bedroom cabin, we've got one called Poolside Pines. It's been done really well. And it is, you know, on the top end, it can get up to like 2,400 bucks a night. Well, there's seven bedrooms. It's only 340, 380, whatever yeah, that math yeah. comes out to be dollars per person, per bedroom, per night. And, you know, I do travel for business. I go to Houston or Dallas and I stay in a crappy Marriott, whatever courtyard. And it's like bare bones and they're charging me 300 yeah, bucks yeah. a night because it's downtown, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I think people, and I think hotel prices in general have gone up, or at least I've noticed it. Yeah. I mean, I went to Miami in 2021 and then I went again and we were looking to go again in 2022 and it was like three X the price for the yeah. hotel room. And we're like, Jeez. why is this three times more expensive? It just seems like, you know, like for our honeymoon, we stayed at a four seasons and we looked at going back to that four seasons and it was like four times the price. Now that was 10 years ago, but we're like, oh my gosh. So I yeah. think hotels have gone way up in price. And when you look at these Airbnbs, you can basically say, I get this whole property. We get, you know, two kitchens, outdoor kitchen, indoor kitchen. We get a hot tub, we get a pool, we get all these things. And if you split it with these, you know, with a couple of different families, we're really not paying that much more than what you would pay at these, uh, at these really nice hotels. Sure. So I think it's, that's part of the rationale. I also think that we get a lot of like church groups yeah. and, you know, bachelor, bachelorette parties and, um, you name it, family reunions, yeah. things where there's like large gatherings and to go and, um, or wedding parties, people get married down there. And I think like you look at going in, going somewhere with a group of people and everybody gets their own hotel room. It's yeah. not necessarily cheaper yeah. and everybody's kind of spread out in a park yeah. and you got to kind of get together. And it's like, well, I got to go back to our room. And then you break away for two hours and maybe you catch them later down at the hotel bar. And it's yeah. like, there's just not this sense of uh, togetherness and camaraderie that is like when you go and stay at this giant mansion, that's yeah. 5,000 square feet and has all these amenities and everybody's got, but everybody has their own space. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. We're all together. We can gather outside on the back porch or, you know, in the living room or in the game room, but we also can break away and have our own huge master bathroom. And again, it's just being thoughtful around how we structure those. You know, one of the pitfalls we fell into earlier uh, that I mentioned on that four bedroom house was everybody wants like a master bedroom. They yeah. want like this one, you know, cause people go to look at a house and it's emotional and they're like, Oh, I can picture myself staying in this giant master suite. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but that giant master suite rents for the same amount as a, is a normal bedroom, right? And so yeah. like we had a master bedroom that was incredible, but it was like the size of two bedrooms. And it's mm. like, we could have put two bedrooms in here and gotten two extra master or two extra, you know, king size beds in yeah. this place versus one. And so 
you want to give them enough luxury and enough comfort, but you also want to, you know, be efficient with it too. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this, yeah, this is a really interesting strategy because a lot of the folks that I know in the, in, in the space who are building these like, you know, micro resorts and these, you know, alternative, like experientially focused stays there, a lot of them are going after like, you know, smaller units, right? They might buy a plot of 20, 25 acres, uh, 50 acres, whatever it is. And then they're building, you know, 20 to 30, 500 to a thousand square foot, like, you know, units for, for a couple, quite frankly, like it's usually mostly focused on like couples retreats. And what's interesting is you're, you guys are considering at least like the opposite approach of like, okay, what if, what if we built an incredibly like high end offering, but that's freaking huge. Right. So that, so that, you know, you and your, your, your wife's best friend and her husband and your, you know, buddy and his wife, you guys can all go together but not, and, and literally like share a lot of the same space spaces, but then everyone can, you know, real, you don't, you don't have to hear, you know, your, your friend next door, or like, you don't have to worry about, oh, who's going to take the smaller bedroom? Like, who's going to like raise their hand? Oh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll sleep in the two, you know, twin beds or, or whatever it is. So it's, so it's an interesting approach. Are there, are there other folks who are, who are taking this particular approach? Cause, cause if so, I, I'm not, that familiar with them do you guys think that you're on to something like pretty pretty distinct here or or are there other players in the space that, that you're looking to for for inspiration or in, you know or, or or guidance from i think like the people that have owned the really big properties could tell you that they do really well and so i don't know if there's people that are specifically focused on that strategy i yeah. know like on twitter i don't know him at all but the bowtie broke guy he's got yeah. some really huge cabins that he's building that seem to be incorporating a lot of what we're talking about. I think he's mostly selling those. I don't know if he's renting them, but um, that's somebody I've seen kind of creating these big exceptional experiences. I've had uh, Taylor Jones on the my podcast yeah. a while back, and he's they do a mix of different sizes, but I think through the conversations I've had with him, it, it gets down to if it's going to be a smaller one, it has to be exceptional still. And then they, I think they also see the value in the bigger ones as well. Um, for us, it's there's a lot of reasons to do the bigger ones. I mean, especially when you're building them, you get economies of scale. So like, for example, your land cost, right? That's a fixed cost. Well, if you spread that out over 4,500 or 5,000 square feet, that's a lower price per square foot. Then you spread it over at 800 square foot, yeah. you know, single cabin, right? It's like, so your cost basis is higher. Um, you get economies of uh, scale with your labor, with all these different things. So our price per square foot is much lower, which means if we do want to sell those, we can, we have more margin to play with. Like we could cut our prices, you know, 20% and still make a margin on it yeah. or even more and still make a margin. And in a real estate environment like this, I think having that ability to flex uh, downwards and what, you know, your pricing is important. The other thing I think is that it gives you a lot more flexibility on compression of ADR or your, or your nightly rates, excuse me. And so it's like, you know, in the off season or in a slow time, um, that cabin that I'm running for 2,400, 2,500 bucks a night during peak times on the weekends in the summer, or 4th of July or whatever, if I need to, I could lower the rate to a thousand bucks or 800 bucks a yeah. night, still make money, still cover my costs. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, if yeah. you're renting your cabin out for 200 bucks a night during peak season, cause it's a small little bungalow thing. And then during the off season, you got to cut the rate to 50 bucks. Like yeah. you're not covering your costs or a yeah, hundred yeah, bucks. Yeah. You're not covering your costs. So yeah. we have that ability to say, you know what? I'm going to list it for 800 bucks a night because this is the slowest part of the year and it's weekdays. And then people look at that. They're like, oh my God, 800 bucks a night. Yeah. For, I can get all this. And it just gives you that like room to move your rates in a lot more dynamic of a range yeah. and still cover your costs. than if you have a really small place, you only have so much down, you can move them. And at some point it's like, is it even worth renting this? Cause like, the wear and tear and like, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it makes it, it, ma it makes a ton of sense. And like, just from like a marketing standpoint and a positioning standpoint too, being able to see those, 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 you know, uh, fluctuations in price, it, it, there's a, there's a lot of, of, you know, marketing collateral you could, you could garner from that, right? Like whether it's posting on Instagram of like these last minute stays, whether it's, you know, doing something with, you know, our site spontaneous, whatever it might be like, that that all of a sudden you're you're opening you're you're sort of like expanding your your potential guest market uh too which which can have its downsides right like if you really want to really want to attract a twenty four hundred dollar a night sort of guest and you drop to eight hundred bucks a night and you know it's ten college dudes right like who can now right. afford this place like you know th there are there are some sensitivities there and you you got to be you got to be careful but at the same at the same point um. Uh, 
I, I can imagine myself, right, who's an avid, who who's who uh, is an avid traveler is the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, seeing seeing that fluctuation, being like, oh, I've been following this place on Instagram. I've been following, you know, Mountain Fork Resort and what they're doing and what they're building. I've been dying to stay at one of their places. All of a sudden, now this is like accessible and within, you know. My, my personal budget so let's let's go and make a trip out and make this happen so i think i think that there's a lot you can do there um i i, I want to talk a little bit about speaking of a lot you can do there you you do a lot um and when i was doing some some again uh preliminary internet research about you it looks like you've you, you know built companies and been a part of companies in energy and real estate and tech and media and and i just i want to hear kind of from the horse's mouth like what what is the intersection like how how do you describe yourself and how how are like all of these seemingly like you know disconnected uh uh interests how how are they connected and how do they overlap uh fr from your perspective yeah well there's uh back to my background when i went to school actually not everybody knows this i've talked about it on the podcast but i actually got a hospitality degree oh wow um no way so uh yeah i got a hospitality degree at oklahoma state University. I think back then they called it hotel restaurant hospitality administration. I think they've changed it now to just hospitality, but it's, it's the same degree. But basically, uh, did that degree and was like, ah, uh, and like I always knew that I wanted to be like, I basically wanted to be the owner. I wanted to do the fun part. But when I worked in the actual industry, I did like event stuff and I was like, worked for an event planner. I did like not much restaurant. It was mostly like hotels and, uh, events and things like that. And I just, just didn't like want to do it for a career. And I yeah. also graduated in the uh, right during the great financial crisis. So like I graduated in the spring of 09 and it was like, uh, had some job offers to do some different things. And I was just kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do this. So had an internship and then went and decided I'm just going to stay in school, which I don't necessarily recommend. I went and just got an MBA, which I don't recommend necessarily doing. Cause I think if you get an MBA, it's probably better to have more real world experience, but like just given the job market at the time, it yeah. was kind of like, I don't really like the path that, I'm picking with one of these and I feel like I was kind of settling. And so ended up doing that and then got it into my mom and dad had worked in the oil and gas industry being in Oklahoma. That's like a lot of the jobs. And my dad was a geologist and an engineer. Wow. And so, um, he had always been around it and ended up getting an internship with a, with a, what we call a midstream company which was basically like pipelines. So they moved the product and I really just loved it. I was like, this is super interesting. It's like, it's technical. You've got like engineering and science, but you've also got you know, this business aspect and a lot of like the, what you call the midstream or what we call marketing, which is not like advertising. It's like marketing the product. Yeah. Um, and like the marketing space, it's like, you know, you kind of encompass that under what we would call like commercial. Hmm. It's like, you're basically making the money. So you're selling the product, you're doing deals, you're talking to, you know, building pipelines uh, is not all that different than doing a real estate development. You're laying a utilities, right? Like you're, you're building all these things that you yeah. need for it. So I got this background in, in this very niche segment of the oil and gas business that I just fell in love with. And I just, because of all the different hats I got to wear because of uh, all the things I mentioned. And so uh, out of school, ended up getting a job at Chesapeake Energy, which at the time was the largest active driller in the US and the second largest producer of natural gas. And so got thrust into a position at a very young age uh, with way, way more responsibility than I should have had. <laughs> and it was one of those deals where I started as like an analyst and there was a guy that quit that was in a position that we called like a commercial rep, which was like a higher up position. And they were like, hey, go do it. Like you're either going to sink or swim, but take over this job that normally you'd have to have 10 years or so of experience to have. And so just got put into a position where got to drink from a fire hose, got to interact with the CEO of a fortune 500 company and the executive team and got to just present and be a part of these massive deals. Wow. And, um, just got to learn a lot. Like, and it was just, it's a lot of luck really. I mean, it was, I, I did the work and I was able to, to, you know, excel in what I was doing, but then, um, but at the same time I got lucky from that standpoint. And I always try to credit like luck with when it comes to business success, because you can put yourself in the right position, but at the end of the day, like, you know, luck has a big piece to do with it. And then I uh, was there for a number of years, like I think almost four years. And then I, uh, the CEO had left and started a new company. And I went and joined that because I was like, Hey, this is boring. Now the guy that was the, <laughs> you know, the founder of this, like left and went and did his own thing. Like that's exciting. Of course, a young person, I just was chasing the next shiny thing. And that opportunity didn't pan out. It was mm. like the company ended up like 
having a lot of trouble. We went to a huge bear market. Oil went from a hundred bucks to like $30 a barrel. So lost 70% of the value. They ended up like rolling up our group. And like, I basically got let go after like seven months of being at this company, my group got like dissolved. And I went from being like, uh, in this really high flying, like fast career trajectory growth to basically being on the street. And, um, and that company ended up going, actually both those companies ended up going bankrupt, which is crazy uh, years down the line. But, um, so found myself in a position where didn't know what I was going to do and started talking to some of my industry connections and talked to an old colleague of mine that had gone and founded a startup company. And at the time, like there was a lot of private equity money coming into oil and gas. And so there was a bunch of startups, like guys trying to you know start something, build it up and then flip it basically yep. is the model. And he's like, Hey, come work for me. And then like, call me a day later. And he's like, actually don't, don't like move. He was in a different city. He was in Denver. And he's like, don't come work for me. He's like, just do some consulting for me. He's like, you don't need to move. You you just got married. You got a house. Like don't move, just work for me from where you're at. So started doing some consulting and thought this is just like a stopgap until I find the next thing. And then my old vice president uh, from Chesapeake had left there and we went and grabbed a beer and he's like, well, I've got some consulting stuff that I'm looking at too. And it's like, well, let's, you know, kind of work together on some of these projects. And so couple months later, we had like three or four clients and we're like, man, we probably need to like hire somebody. Like we're kind of getting <laughs> too busy to, uh, to be able to do this on our own. And it just kind of snowballed from there and it's been nine years. And so our, we have this consulting and advisory business. And then from that, we got into the physical marketing space. We're actually physically buying the product and then reselling it or helping our clients, you know, get the best price, help them broker the deal to sell the product. And so fast forward to today, there's, you know, we've got about 15 employees company's been around for nine years. We've uh, made it basically through the ups and the downs of the uh, oil and gas industry. And then through that, you know, uh, specifically in 2020, when the downturn of COVID COVID happened, um, did a lot of soul searching and uh, said, we need to lean more into tech. We need Hmm. to lean more into media. Hmm. We need to do some things to, to reach people. Right. And so we Put, a, put our business under the microscope and started building out a tech platform uh, for like what we do. And we just noticed that everybody was doing everything in spreadsheets. It's just, this is the way it's always been done. We're managing all these contracts and all these sales. And it's like, there's gotta be a better way. And so we uh, have invested internally into building out some tech around that. And we've launched that as its own standalone product called Encova View um, that's, that we're now selling as a standalone thing. And that's uh, been great this year. Um, I still do the podcast, although I've slowed down there for a while. I was doing like two episodes a week and wow. now I'm doing one, like one every other week or once a week, if I can get around to it, I've, you know, the, the media stuff has been, I could probably turn it into a business, but I've just, it's fun. I yeah. enjoy it. It's helped me connect with a lot of interesting people like you. And it forces me to get outside of my comfort zone and and do things that, uh, that I otherwise wasn't doing. I was like a total darkness on social media. I had no accounts anywhere. I had like a Twitter, private Twitter account that had like a hundred of my friends <laughs> and I had like a LinkedIn with no picture on it. And, you know, now have like 40 something thousand in the distribution channel across Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, yeah. um, Facebook, whatever. And so that was part of the evolution. And then, uh, the real estate stuff was, it was opportunistic, but it was also, um, it felt like I was getting back to those hospitality roots hmm. and that I, you know, I enjoy that part of it. And I liked creating that experience. And, um, and it's been lucrative, but at the same time, it's like, it's fun to see something that you built, right? Yeah. Like it's fun to have something in your brain and like, think it up. And then one day, like, and it's a slow burn. It may take 18 months or 24 months later, but you get to see it in real life. Um, and so to me, that is something that I really enjoy. And it's, it's still kind of a side hustle, but it's, um, but I like spending time on it. We've yeah. got a couple partners in the venture that it's like their full-time job. Yeah. And so they, and so they work on it full time. And for me, it's sort of like a, a part-time thing. Um, but, I, but I, I really enjoy it. So it's, it seems really complicated on the outside looking in, but it, it kind of ties together. Um, most of what I'm doing is still on energy, yeah. but like I said, we've leaned into tech and we've leaned into media because it's just a way to amplify our existing business and help grow, grow the platform. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. 
Jen is a returning guest, and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form, and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. From, from my you know, perspective, having just just met you and, and just getting to, to know a little bit about what, you, what you're building, I, I, I'd say like how this all ties together, right, is like, you're you're really good at seeing sort of opportunity, deciding, hey, let's let's jump at, uh, in on this, let's let's try it out a little bit, but like let's also not get distracted from like the 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 core thing that we're building, and I I feel like that's that's really hard to do. Like nine years into to Ancova, and now you guys are building, now you guys are actually like making your technology that you've built available to be purchased, uh, you know, presumably without folks needing to be a, a, a direct client of yours. You you could have you could have like in year two been like hey let's let's build this tech and let and let's sell it right let's turn ourselves into like a software company or whatever it might be, and I, I think one of the hard things about any entrepreneur, especially folks that just like building things, right, is that you you get you can get so distracted and and so in love with like the process of building and the process of like you know shipping new product that trying to figure out what balance of time should be spent on on the core business versus like the the side you know, product or, or project is so freaking difficult. And again, from, from my right. perspective, like, uh, it, it seems like it seems like you've got a, a relatively good rhythm of like, how to how to do it well, right? Of like, hey, second, second time, man, it's not <laughs> easy. Like you're hitting the nail on the head. Like what you're saying resonates with me a lot. Because we've done other, other stuff too. we and it hasn't uh, panned out or it did pan out, but it did, it just became something that we didn't, you know, it was like, we had to refocus. Like yeah. in 2018, we raised private equity money and we're, uh, raised like a $200 million commitment to go build pipelines. And so we had like a midstream segment of the business and, um, it was like a push basically, like we built one system and we sold it for like a cost plus a little bit of our money back. And then like COVID hit and it was fine, but like they kept it going. They were like, Hey, the private equity group was like, why don't you guys focus on like the energy transition and like carbon capture and yeah. like just all this other stuff. And so we kind of looked at that for a year and then like we ended up winding that entity down and I don't regret it cause I learned a lot and, um, and we made some money, but you know, you look back and you're like, was that a distraction on our hmm. core business? Like what if I had just focused on like what we have right now? Yeah, We've done things like we have a, uh, a Bitcoin mining entity cause like people were <laughs> using natural gas in the oil field to mine for Bitcoin cause what? it's like a cheap source of energy. No way. So yeah, it's crazy. It's like generating power <laughs> out in the field, uh, just taking the gas out of the ground and running it through a generator and creating like a data center. And so wow. we still have this little entity that like has a small mine like out in uh, Western Oklahoma, but like there was a couple of years where we were focusing on that. And it was like, this is like really cool tech. And, yeah. you know, can we like, like, where is this going to go? And like, I still like, I'm not really into crypto or yeah. like trading or any stuff, but I just thought the like, Bitcoin is like very much a commodity. And yeah. I just, and it resonates with me because you use energy to, to mine it or to create it. And like, I'm like, that's what I do. Like I sell energy, <laughs> like I build infrastructure for energy. And so, and I still, I like that business. I'd love to do more there, but at some point it was like, Hey, this is kind of a distraction. We yeah. still have it going on. We still like do some consulting here and there for people looking to do it. It, it makes sense in a lot of areas. We don't have to get into the technical details of it, but like sometimes you have stranded energy and Bitcoin can make a lot of sense. And I, and I like the Bitcoin uh, community and have, have gotten involved been on their podcast and done a lot of things. But wow. um, I think, I think like even with, uh, even with the media stuff, at some point I had to say, I've kind of set out like it's weird. Like I was like in Twitter and I'm like, oh, I want to grow this big Twitter following. And then like, I don't know, once I got to like around 20,000 followers and the podcast was up to like it's all time high views, I just had this thing where I felt like I kind of climbed that mountain and I'm yeah. like, I don't want to give this away. Like yeah. I have it and I enjoy it, but it's just kind of a distraction and like yeah. it's created a lot of opportunities and open doors. But, it, you know, as I've gotten older, it's like, trying to find that focus and trying to, you know, hone in on what really matters, what's really, um, making the dollars. And then also you get stretched too thin. I yeah, mean, at some point yeah. it's like, you can't do it all. Like yeah. I've very little in my life hit that point where I'm like, this is too much. And there's been times over the last, you know, three or four years where I'm like, okay, 
like, I don't think I can start another thing. Like I should just like, you know, do what I'm doing. And, um, and like the distillery thing, like that's very passive. It's fine. I have no management over yeah, it or anything. Yeah. It's just, I just, I can made it a little small investment and it's just kind of fun to tout it. But, um, but yeah, so you're exactly right. It's like, yeah. how do you stay focused and not chase the next shiny thing? Well, and also like, like for those hospitality and entrepreneurs who are listening to to this podcast, I feel like there's a growing, there's a growing like audience that we have of folks who have literally like never done anything in hospitality, but they come from tech, right? Or like their company went public in, in 2020, 2021, whatever it was, or, or was acquired, right? When there was all this capital flowing around, they made a little bit of money. They want to get into real estate, but they don't want to do it like mom and dad did. Like they, they you know, they're just interested right. in, they, they want something that's Instagrammable, quite frankly. Like that's like, that's right. what they're interested in, which I think, you know, bodes a huge opportunity for people like me who want to go stay in Instagrammable places, right? Um, but, but I, but I think like the, the big challenge, right, is like figuring out what is the balance between taking, taking, having a conversation and, and taking an opportunity versus like that, that could actually be like the very door that you've been looking for, right? And, and then, and then what are, what are doors that like, are really actually just windows, right? And it looks like an entryway or, or, or an exit, but it's but it's really not a good one, right? Like um, you, you could fall four stories down, right? And I think like that that is that's what's so hard about like being quite frankly just being an entrepreneur. But any in these businesses too that that really are all about like networking and relationships and like you know if you've got to go raise money for this micro resort because you're not going to be able to fund it yourself. Who, who are the right people to raise money from? Who are the wrong people to raise money from? There's a, there is like more and more institutional capital coming into kind of like the short-term rental space now. Like how do you discern who to, you know, who to work with and who, who not to? And so all, all this is like a very long way of saying that I, I feel like it's really, really, really difficult, especially when, if you are plugged into online communities of, of that where, where lots of people have lots of opinions, right? And like lots of those opinions conflict with one another. It can be incredibly overwhelming. And I feel like sometimes you really just have to like unplug from it all, step back and be like, okay, regardless of what anyone else thinks, where do I love spending time, right? Like right now, like where do I love spending my time? right? Design, what, what is my ideal day look like, right? And not my ideal day once I have all the money in the world, but like, what is, what is my ideal look, you know, day look like now? And I feel like it's, it's just difficult to get yourself to do that, at least for me, right? Like it, it's hard. It's hard to, because, because, because I'm like, I don't know anything. I've never done this. I've never built something like particularly meaningful. Like, what do I know? And yet at the end right. of the day, I feel like sometimes your gut is, is literally the only thing that you can go off of because there is no right answer. <laughs> and that's what's hard. Yeah. Well, it's extremely hard. I mean, the question you're asking is like, what do I want to build? And yeah. that's the hardest question. Like I toyed around with like, I'm not a big writer. I've tried for a while to write there. I was doing our company has like a sub stack we do in the energy space and I don't really write it there for a while. I was like writing some of it. We have some people that throw together. It's a short newsletter, but so I thought about writing newsletters. And then one time I was like, when I was really into the social media stuff and I still do it, but I, I don't tweet it as much as I did, but I was like, Oh, I should write a book. And I remember being like, uh, kind of an entrepreneurship thing. And I was like a chapter, the first chapter is like, what do you want to build? Yeah. And I was trying to like describe it. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know that I know. Yeah. And I don't even know. It's almost <laughs> like you have to like, it's almost like you have to, I think the in conclusion that I came to is you have to experience things and you have to live through them to really know. And it's like yeah. back to my hospitality degree. It's like, had an idea of what I thought I wanted to do. And then I actually did it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I want to work like nights and weekends and on holidays when everybody else is having fun. Like yeah. that's not necessarily like what I think is fun. Like I'm family oriented. Like yeah. I, I don't want to move away. Um, I think with uh, entrepreneurship, what I found is that not all dollars are created equal just because you can buy a small business. I see this in like the small business Twitter and I follow up <laughs> all those people and I, and I read it and I'm like, just because you can make $200,000 a year doing some buying some business, it's like, do you really want to be a roofer on yeah. a roofing company? Do you really want to own a car wash? Like, yeah. What is that a plumbing company? Entail? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, you know, plumbing company, you've got, you know, you're, you're digging around in other people's poop. It's yeah. like, that's like, <laughs> it's like, right. I mean, like you're having to fix toilets. So it's like, uh, you get enamored with like the numbers and the spreadsheets and the ideas. And a lot of times, you just don't know what you like until you do it. And I think the problem is, and I've been guilty of this too, is you jump into things and sometimes people jump way into things and you start to realize like it wasn't what you thought it was. And you may be trapped, like you have no choice. You took out a small business loan or whatever, and you're in something and now you have to see it through. And I think that 
getting as much experience as you can in different things without fully committing, I think is important. Like, you know, even if it was just buying a stock of a company that did something that you wanted to do and yeah. tracking it very closely and looking at their financials and looking at their operations stuff and trying to learn everything you can about it, even if it's only on a thousand dollars in the stock, like even that I think is helpful just to kind of like immerse yourself as much as you can into that thing that you think you want yeah. and learn about it. And not all businesses are created equal like with those dollars. Like some businesses are really capital intensive and it's like a consulting business. If you could go and you've got it kind of scaled and you could charge a client hundred grand a year, 200 grand a year, like the marginal cost of that dollar is not much. Like yeah. you've got people that they can work on it. You can spend your time on it. You don't have to go make a huge capital investment versus like if you're running a restaurant or a distillery or something that's like food and beverage, or, uh, you know, you got to spend, you got to have all these workers. They don't want to, they, you know, they're seasonal or they leave. Yeah. Or if you're in real estate, you have to spend a ton of capital and there's debt. I mean, so like everything comes with trade-offs and I think it's really easy to chase the shiny thing, but like ultimately there's sacrifice involved too. And I'm always jealous of like the stories of the guy that's like, it's a one man shop. And he does like, he created some SEO thing and he makes like <laughs> 2 million bucks a year and it's on autopilot. I'm like, you know, as I've gotten older, it's like, I start to value my time more. Yeah. And as you value your time more, the money becomes less important. It's still important, but it's ultimately like, what do I have to give up to yeah. get that? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I think that's hard for people to think through until they like live something. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think like, you hit you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about what does it look like to it's almost like right people talk a lot about diversifying your financial portfolio but like what about like diversifying your 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 attention right or diversifying sort of like your your energy portfolio right and and what what I mean right. by that specifically is like what does it look like to start off with a little bit over here a little bit over there hey maybe you maybe you do maybe you are thinking hey maybe I want to get into media start start a podcast commit to maybe not 100 episodes commit to one season and maybe maybe it's it's a monthly pod or whatever it might be right and really what the only thing that you are testing for in, in that context is like do I like this like and do right. other do are there other people in my network that I'm connecting with that are also garnering even a little bit of value from it? And if both of those things are true after a year, it could be an indicator that hey, this is this is worth doing more. And I think the same thing goes for whether it's raising a fund, right? Whether it's thinking a little bit more about like hey, do do I want to go work at this company? Whatever it might be. And I think that the challenge is it's so sexy right now to be like left my day job, went all in on my side hustle and like, you know, not, not turning back, taking a huge risk like that, that it just, I feel like right now, maybe or especially over the last couple of years when, when, you know, uh, money was flowing and like people were, everyone was still working from home and all this stuff. Like those, 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 those narratives were, were all over social. And I think like some of that is great. Like, and if you are at a point where you're ready to take that risk, wonderful. Right. But be sure that you have the idea that you want to go all in on because it's it's really it's it's going to be really 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 hard, um, and all that is to say is that diversify up front, then take back, you know, take a step back, assess, hey, where is my attention going? Where am I yielding dividends from that attention? And are those dividends bringing me joy, right? And bringing me purpose? And it, find the investment that is bringing you joy and bringing you purpose, and then go all in on that thing. So. We're just impatient, I think, is is really, uh, at least I'm, I'll just speak for myself. I'm definitely an impatient person and, and definitely have shiny object syndrome. But I think, like, it's a, just an important reminder to, 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 you know, wait discerningly. Like, don't wait for the sake of waiting and don't wait forever. Otherwise, you're going to miss something. But don't feel like you have to jump because everybody else is. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, that's exactly right. And I think just kind of starting to do it a little bit. I mean, even with the business stuff, I think people get so caught up in, I can't remember if it was, like, Someone put a Twitter thread on this, but it basically like you go out and you get the website and you, you buy the, the domain, t-shirts yeah. <laughs> and you get the domain and you like do all this stuff and you set up the entities and all that stuff. And it's like, but you haven't actually really done the work, like, or you could just like, you know, start doing the work, look up in six months and be like, Hey, is this profitable? Um, now let's invest some in these things. And I think that that was the unique part about our energy company was that like, we didn't really set out to start a company. It was like, Hey, we're just going to do some consulting. And then yeah. this is like a stop gap until I go find another job. And then it like, it was working and we're like, well, Hey, like, you know, if we could add four or five more of these clients, then, you know, we could start hiring some people and get an office. And then it was like, you just sort of like, it's like, well, we should probably go get a website. We should probably do some marketing. We should probably go to some conferences and events and like put ourselves out there. And so we like just kind of built it organically and yeah. slowly. 
And then I think that from that, we were able to find out what was working, what wasn't working versus just being like, I'm making this huge bet and going all in day one and then being like, oh crap, like I'm all in and this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So well said. Um, well, hey, this has been a, an incredibly enlightening and, and fun conversation, Max. I appreciate you taking time out of your your busy life to, to chat with us. For folks that are listening in and want to learn a little bit more about what you're up to, they want to stay connected to the Mountain Fork Resort story. I'll have links to your respective websites in the show notes below and your, your social handles. But is there anywhere else you'd want folks to go if they're interested in connecting and or just learning a little bit more about your your various ventures? Yeah, I think just you know, follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Max uh, underscore Gagliardi. Our, yeah, I know you'll link them, but the mountainforkresort.com. And then if you want to stay at one of the existing cabins, it's uh, mountainforkvacations.com for the booking site. And um, and that's it, man. I mean, I'm out there on social media. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, you can check out the podcast on YouTube. I think it's just Max underscore Gagliardi. The podcast is called Always Be Building. You can find it on Apple and uh, Spotify, all those other great places. But Zach, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's uh, It's been good. Didn't get to learn much about you if it's talked about myself, but uh, <laughs> we'd love to connect sometime. Maybe you can come on my pod and we'll do it in the reverse. Oh, sounds like a plan, man. But hey, appreciate you. Appreciate your time. And for all of our listeners tuning in, just check out the show notes below for all those links that Max just referenced. All right, dude, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote-unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.